Hello, it's Kamal Ahmed here, and I'm here to tell you about Energized. The brand new podcast, Intelligent Squared, is launching in partnership with Ipadrola. The climate crisis is the most pressing issue of our time. Temperatures are set to rise more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels in the next two decades, an increase that will cause irreversible damage to our planet. But is there still hope? If humans are to blame for climate change, then we must also provide the solutions. And that's where Energized comes in. Join me as I bring together experts and policymakers to delve deep into the key issues at the heart of the global drive towards net zero and the innovations that promise to accelerate the energy transition and transform the way we live. Just search Energized wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This week's podcast was recorded at Make the Future Live in London's Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park on the 26th of May. Continue the conversation online using hashtag MakeTheFuture. Welcome, everybody. The big question tonight is, can London become a carbon-neutral city? Cities are the main source of the world's carbon emissions, but that doesn't mean that we should all leave the cities and go and live in Lincolnshire. In fact, urban density provides a great opportunity for lowering carbon emissions. That's because we can do things about our buildings, our transport systems, our energy use, and even our food production to increase efficiency. And where better to start than with our very own city, ladies and gentlemen, the lovely city of London Town. Warms the heart. Okay, the challenge tonight is to see what we have to do to make London a carbon-neutral city. To meet that challenge, we have three extraordinary young entrepreneurs. (laughs) Wave at us, please, entrepreneurs, so we can distinguish you from the experts. (laughs) Okay, they've all been finalists in the Shell Livewire Awards. They've each come up with a brilliant technology that could be scaled up to help reduce London's carbon emissions. Please welcome, I'm not sure if you're in this order, Charlotte Slingsby from Moya Power. (laughs) You can whoop if you want. (laughs) Arthur Kay from BioBeam. That's the technology I was telling you about. (laughs) And Claire Hubbard from Grow Up Urban Farms. Great to have you with us. Okay. We also have two experts who will be explaining how London can meet the challenge of becoming a carbon-neutral city, and they'll be giving their feedback on the pitches that you're going to hear from our entrepreneurs. Give a huge warm welcome to Tony Juniper, one of Britain's best-known environmentalists. Also, he used to be executive director of Friends of the Earth. Hello. Tony, good to see you. Very smart, sir. Thank you. You didn't think shorts? I thought shorts, but I had a complicated day, and a suit was the only thing that fitted everything. Good choice. (laughs) 
Okay. Kelsey Lynn Skinner is an engineer, an investor, an innovator who has worked for more than a decade in Silicon Valley. That's dead impressive, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. She's now a partner of Touchstone Innovations, a UK venture capital investor in emerging science and technology. Give it up for Kelsey. Thank you. <laughs> and then we have you, our lovely audience. Woo! Beautiful evening yeah. in May. Great to have you with us. Uh, later on, we're going to be asking you to come up with your suggestions for low-carbon uh, footprint uh, solutions and also finding out what contribution you would be willing to make in order to help our city meet its goal. Now, this is the important bit, okay, to get involved in a meaningful way in that debate. Uh, it's probably a good idea that you start tweeting with your questions, okay? So we're going to have a nice Q&A at the end. You can ask the experts anything you want. We will have a roving mic or two, but the, the, the best way to get on board is to tweet your questions, and you can start doing that now. And so that we notice them, you need to use the hashtag MakeTheFuture. Okay. Now, I want to introduce our special guest, who is an award-winning comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, and a presenter, known for hosting shows including Channel 4's Gadget Man and Travel Man. Please give our warmest... Reception yet to Richard Iardi. Come on in, good to see you. Oh, okay, great. This is good. How, how did you get here tonight? How, how did I get here? Yeah. Um, I was it was carbon neutral. Part of it involved walking, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Although I did emit a lot of methane um, during did the. Did you walk. capture it? I yeah. I wasn't the only one who captured it because um, mm -hmm. of the wind, um, and then a tube, right? I don't know. Ah, yeah, so, maybe so, we move on from that. Yeah, I mean, there were other people on it, so I feel they have to share the responsibility for that. And I'd like to take the full responsibility for that <laughs> tube running, but I think it would have run whether I was on it or not. I'm guessing it would. I, yeah, it seemed like it was almost... And then, obviously, I'm interested to know... Sure. If there was what a... about your hoverboard, which really... You like that? Well, I'd, I'd question how it's hovering, given that there's a massive wheel in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like a wheel... With okay, can stuck I, can in I, can the I be top honest? of a stepladder. Can I be honest with you? Sure. There is a wheel. Yeah. I, can, I mean, <laughs> honesty wasn't required. No. I could uh, literally uh, see that. But, so in what way is that a hoverboard? It's not. Okay. <laughs> not. But uh, the idea, I guess, is that because the wheel's black and normally the road is black... Right. ..you can't see it. So all cars are hover cars. <laughs> Effectively, yeah. Okay, fine. So if I wear black shoes, I'm hovering as well. I'm a hover In man. In fact, to me, even with the brown, sure. you're, you are okay, hovering. Okay, great. I can be a hover man. This so can good. I ask you a question? <laughs> um, I feel like I'm in all bar one. This is a, these <laughs> are tremendous. I'll ask what the specials are shortly. Are, are you um, a carbon emissions expert? Is that why... I, I have no idea here. why I'm here. Um, <laughs> apart from the free water which um, is uh, great. I've decided to put sunglasses mm. on so I can feel more like Bono. Um, I, 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 my ignorance is, uh, spans all kinds of areas, <laughs> and uh, this is one of the uh, key areas. So I'm kind of interested to find out. I, I have no expertise. Great. I, I mean, I, I would recommend that you tune me out. Um, mm. I, I, pre I presume I'm only here to make it flow less well. Okay. <laughs> Richard Iowadi, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay. Great to have you with us. Oh, thank you. This is going to be really interesting. Well, we're I mean, apart from... We're starting off uh, with what we call our experts' overview. Okay, I'm going to turn to you, Tony, and Kelsey. Okay, straight up. What I want is a kind of big picture, okay, to get us started. So we're talking top-line stuff about the policy changes 
uh, involved uh, in making London carbon neutral? Okay, so the very biggest picture for all of this is the global agreement uh, adopted in Paris 18 months ago that says we're going to limit global warming to below 1.5 degrees of average global temperature increase. That means that we're going to need to be carbon neutral by the middle of the 2030s. So less than 20 years from now, we're going to have to have eliminated net emissions from the atmosphere, so putting up no more than is being absorbed by forests, soils and the ocean. Can we do that? Yes, we can. And we've already made a very good start in different parts of the world, including in this country. We've got to decarbonise electricity, going to renewables. We've got to decarbonise heat by going to biogas and better insulation. We've got to decarbonise transport by going to electric vehicles, walking and all the things that we know we can do there. We've got to decarbonise agriculture, which is a very exciting thing from the point of view of wildlife as well as carbon. And we've got to move towards a circular economy whereby we eliminate waste. This is all perfectly doable, and I know that because a lot of these things are already happening. Right now, in the Thames estuary, we have what was recently the world's largest offshore wind farm, powering the underground, powering many homes in London. Today, would you believe, 20% of this country's electricity came from the sun. So we're already on the journey. What we have to do now is get scale, and we have to innovate. The crucial thing now is to chuck the kitchen sink at this, because the the future of humankind is at stake, literally, but we can do it, and we know it because we've made a start. God, that's inspiring stuff. <laughs> Gee, Kelsey, your thoughts about you know, some of the policy challenges? Absolutely. Well, I think Tony did a great job of introducing two of the fundamental concepts here. So policy, absolutely, and that's, that's making a big impact. But the, the other two pillars of that triangle are innovation, which he referenced. But I'd like to underscore that because I think that is by far the most innovative important part of this. If we go back a century to um, Henry Ford introducing the Model T and commercializing cars, he had a famous quote that uh, if he'd asked the people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses, right? And so he thought outside the box and he brought us a car. And that's what we need to do in order to solve this problem. So innovation is a huge part of it. But then the other critical component of it is financial scalability. So these technologies, they need to work. To bring this point home to you, how many of you have a mobile phone? Yeah. Now, when your parents were your age, how many of them had a mobile phone? (laughs) It gives you an idea of how when technology comes down the cost curve, it hits a tipping point that can hit critical mass. And that's what we need to do with some of these technologies. We need to innovate to the point, but also bring, bring them down and make them financially sustainable and scalable so that they can be rolled out globally. So London is definitely a start, and we'll talk more about how we approach it from London specifically, but actually we need to really think about these problems on a global scale, and I'm excited to hear more about what the entrepreneurs are thinking about. This is looking good, isn't it? It's it's excellent so far. It's feeling possible. (laughs) Yes. I think we're going to crack it today. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, now we're going to start off with what I think is one of the most exciting uh, sections of this evening, and it's our entrepreneurs... Pitches, okay? They're going to pitch, okay? And you're part of our judging panel. We're going to get your response to this later on. First up, Charlotte Slingsby from Moya Power. Woo! Woo, woo, woo! Um, Hello, everyone. I'm the founder of Moya Power, and it is an alternative wind energy harvester. But I'll stop your train of thought there, because I'm sure when I say 
wind energy harvesting, you're thinking of a big white turbine sitting on top of a green hill. Now, I'm not looking at that space. I'm looking into the urban environment and how we can harvest energy from it. So it's very different. And because of this, I'm actually developing what can be called a building textile. It is a lightweight, flexible sheeting material that looks a bit like grass, and you can take this sheet and apply it to a surface, and then when the wind hits it, it creates this fluttering effect that can be converted into electricity. So my motivations for this project was always defined by the context of the city, and there are many challenges here, and that's because the energy is difficult to harvest. For example, when wind comes into the city, it's slowed down and it's broken up by all of these obstacles. And this makes it difficult for you to capture it in one place. Then we also have a problem with space, especially if we think of London. Anything that's remotely open is prime real estate. So what I choose to do is look at these really obscure and hard-to-reach environments, see them as unused spaces that you can transform into these energy-generating hubs through a process of scavenging. So a good example of this, where I've been lucky enough to test, is the London Underground. I'm sure we've all stood on the platform, waiting for our train, experiencing those big gusts of wind. Well, I'm looking at taking these sheets and lining the tunnel and then absorbing this wind energy every time the train passes by. So this is really scalable even in terms of London. You have 270 stations and you have this measurable wind that is repeated every couple of minutes when the train comes and now even happens at night. So if you look at the broader scale into the urban environment, because it's lightweight and flexible, you could line the underside of bridges and have these energy harvesters that are completely out of sight. Or what I really think could be exciting is if you actually provide it to architects as this integral building block where they could put it into their designs and change the shape and form of the building from the beginning to look at how you can manipulate wind flow to target certain locations where you place this harvester. So we all need to transition to this low-carbon state, but for me, I really think it's about accepting what our environment is, looking at the challenges, um, what these limitations are, and really innovating within that space, being really creative and adaptable within the space. So with my product, what I really hope is that I can adapt to these urban spaces and in turn generate energy where you could fuel other journeys or you can satisfy local energy needs through micro-generators. Thank you. Whoa! (laughs) Thank you. Surprise. I still feel bad because I feel like it was, you know, you had a big denouement that you were getting to and my rubbish... I'm, I'm, I'm impressed I did that with in three, so Charlotte, that I'm was, happy. That was <laughs> well fantastic <done>. and fascinating <laughs> and we'll get to you uh, shortly. Arthur Kay is up next from BioBean. Good evening, everyone. My name's Arthur Kay. I'm the founder and chief executive of a company called BioBean. Um, firstly, who here has had a coffee today? I'd imagine a good chunk of you, yeah, <laughs> kind of three quarters, I'd say. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, Biobean is involved in the coffee industry, but we haven't got the newest kind of uh, cold brew coffee or whizzy frappuccino. We're actually very interested in the waste that that industry produces. So Biobean takes waste coffee grounds from all across the UK 
and turns it into a range of advanced biofuel products. We work with waste management companies and coffee companies who produce the waste coffee grounds, ranging from small independent cafes here in London up to the biggest retail um, chains in the UK, um, and also even the instant coffee manufacturers where all of the waste coffee grounds are produced there as well. So all from very small independents all the way up to some of the biggest coffee companies in the world to make sure that we access all of these thousands of tons of waste coffee grounds. Because whilst you guys have all drunk some coffee today, you're not alone. And um, in the UK alone, we produce about 500,000 tons of waste coffee grounds each year. And all of this waste not only produces a lot of um, waste in terms of actual inf- you know, emissions, in terms of CO2 emissions, which is about 3.8 million tons, it also costs the industry quite a lot of money, about £80 million a year. And so what we're able to do by collecting all of this waste coffee grounds is not only save in terms of CO2 emissions, but also save the company's money. We then have built um, what is you know, the, the world's first coffee waste recycling factory just outside London, where we're able to process roughly one in ten cups of coffee drunk in the UK, about 50,000 tonnes a year. And we take all of this waste, take the oils out, and then we turn the leftover, leftovers from that into the excitingly named coffee logs, which you can see um, demonstrated over there. And essentially they are what they say on the tin. They're logs made from waste coffee grounds um, and used primarily in log-burning stoves um, and in open fires to displace wood and coal. And coffee is a fantastic feedstock for this because historically with, um, you know, within the sustainability industry, people have relied on it solely being a, a green solution. But our premise at Biobean is that you don't have to make a compromise in terms of cost or quality to, make, to be able to buy a green product. And so coffee as a feedstock is more energy dense than wood. And also we're able to sell our coffee logs for a fraction of the price of both wood and coal. So making sure that we're making the, the green choice, the logical choice in that as well. In terms of our plans going forward in terms of scaling, we currently just operate here in the UK, but we're looking to scale um, Biobean both nationally and eventually start building factories outside of the UK as well. Because coffee is not just drunk here, it's also a, a global drink. And so making sure that not a single cup is wasted through that and that we can see waste as a resource as opposed to just that instead of waste. Thank you very much. Wow. Great job. That again was bang on three minutes. <laughs> Fantastic. People are very frightened of you clinking. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to hear that sound. I think okay, I'll have to make and... a speech at a wedding. That's the problem. Thanks for that. That's okay. Um, uh, Claire Hubbard from Grow Up Urban Farms. Hi, thank you. Um, how many people here want to try and eat locally sourced produce? Okay, so yeah, some of you, that's great. So I'm from Grow Up Urban Farms, and we are an aquaponic vertical farm, which means we have fish, and we take the fish waste, essentially the fish poo, and we take the nutrients from that and feed plants. And the plants we're growing are salad leaves and microherbs. And we're doing this indoors. So it's in, on racks, and it's 10 benches high. And we're sowing seeds onto a recycled carpet that's grown under LED lights. It's a controlled environment, and that means we can control the lighting and the water flow and the temperature. So it means that we can produce these salads all year round at the same quality and deliver them all throughout London in our little electric van that does the drop-offs. But what we're currently doing, we have the 12 fish tanks and they contain tilapia, which if you're looking for protein for a city, 
They're a really great source of protein because it takes 1.2 kilos of food to get a fish to grow to one kilo in size. But the size of the farm only means we can produce around 4,800 a year. So if you're looking to a city, that's probably not enough. And the salad leaves, we can create around 200,000 bags of salad a year. Which again, that sounds quite a lot, but if you break it down on a weekly basis, that's actually only 3,800 bags of salad a week. So we need to upscale if we're going to make a contribution to London being carbon neutral. But then also we need to look further. We grow under LED lights, so that's a lot of electricity. And at the moment, we're on a renewable energy tariff, but rules regarding our tenancy means that we can't make any exterior changes to the building. So we can't put any solar panels up. But if we were to move to a warehouse that actually that wasn't a problem, we could then put solar panels up, and it probably wouldn't create enough energy to power all the LED lights in the farm. But it could go some way to contributing towards that. But then we probably need to then look. At the very start, so we currently feed the fish fish meal because that's what legislation allowed. One minute to go. Okay, thank you.、Um, <laughs> but that's recently been that's been relaxed slightly, so you can now incorporate insects into the food chain of farmed animals. Insects being a great thing because we could then close that circuit even more from what we're already doing in the closed circuit environment. The、insects predominantly feed on food waste. When we harvest our crops, we have all those roots free that actually just go into compost and things. But we could then use those to create insects to then feed the fish. What we need to do ultimately is look at doing, creating like a holistic, integrated approach to scaling the business and using businesses who are happy to give us their heating, who are happy to maybe let us use a bit of their roof space to solar panels. And yeah, hopefully we can scale it. Four minutes. Well、yeah. done. Well done. I'm not sure who gets the most points. If you finish early or if you finish on time. <clears throat> I don't know. Am I like Simon Cowell here? Am I? I'm meant to <laughs> I, be warding in that role. Good. I should have put my trousers higher. But,、um, yeah. I mean, I think everyone's done very well within their times. It's good. <laughs> good. Thank you very much.、Um, okay. It's over to our experts now. So what I'm looking for. Um, is I want I want to find out if if you think these ideas first of all are viable. I guess that's really important, isn't it?、Um, and then so once once viable it, within a within the terms that they're working now, for example, say you know within your building right now, and then beyond that whether they're scalable. Okay, who wants to go first? I'm ha- happy to kick it off. First of all, I thought all three of you did a great job.、Um, all three ideas are clearly innovative, really approaching、um, this problem from a different angle. The question specifically I'd be interested in is, is、um, to Jason's point about scalability. We were talking a few minutes ago about the smartphone moment, right? E- e- Getting your technology to a point where it can really hit a cri- critical mass and scale broadly. I liked Claire that you used a lot of metrics in your、um, presentation, but I'm wondering for all three of you, are there particular target metrics, either price points or、um, scale points, that you believe if you hit, this could really take off and have a huge impact? Well, I'm happy to start. Okay. Well, I'm still a startup and I'm still in research and development phase, but. <laughs> For me, this is all of these critical factors to look into. So, 
from the very beginning, I look at how design can compensate for certain inefficiencies because I'm developing something which is quite new. Um, so, if, if I might contribute, I go towards mass manufacture. Really, that's basically every aspect in which I design is looking at how could you scale it and mass manufacture it so that you can achieve a low cost when you look at volume. And, and that's exactly what I wanted to ask because most people measure wind energy on a you know, price per kilowatt hour yeah. basis. Is that the right metric for you to be using to determine whether this is competitive? Well, it's globally? a difficult, I think it's, it's one metric, but I look at a couple of different metrics. So what is the input of energy to actually create the device? How many components does it have? What space are you actually taking up to put it in? So I think that you know, this energy per square meter is a very limited approach when you're trying to do innovative yep. things. So I'm trying to allow that. Sure, it's not going to compete directly because we're taking a fundamentally lower energy source. Yeah. But if I can actually have a low-cost, really lightweight, simple product that can literally be stuck to any surface, whether you have gaps and folds, then I can make use of space that is... Especially useless. in a city like London. Yes. So that answers the question really nicely. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said... Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before bring the arts home with marquee tv when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Don't try and predict the future. It's already happening. All you've got to do is spot it. Yeah. And so it's right here already with these ideas beginning to gather momentum, raising their profile. And I think, you know, if you look 20 years hence, we will look back to this moment and we will say... You know, those of us who were looking for a silver bullet, if anybody is looking for a silver bullet, we were looking in the wrong place. It's silver buckshot that we've got to fire at this problem. And it's all sorts of different things working together. And I think this evening we've got a fantastic uh, sense of how that is. I mean, it's things you wouldn't necessarily think of. Uh, eliminating coffee waste, 
being able to harness wind from the underground, that's fantastic. And then being able to, you think of like our food supply, some distant farm in North America. No, it's right here in London. And it's using a nutrient, a nutrient cycle which is based upon fish and vegetables together. In fact, this kind of, this kind of agriculture, Claire, you probably know this better than I, but this was like 5,000 years ago in Asia. People were doing this. Yeah, it used to be the Chinese farmers that would yeah. grow the fish in the rice paddy fields. Exactly. And then wait until and, you know, ready those, to harvest. It's kind of common sense at one level, but we need to relearn common sense in our modern society. But what's particularly clever about it is it takes that, that very historical technology but then adapts it for the modern world. So I like that you have these very vertical farms that you can um, adapt into old warehouses and the reuse of uh, the coffee beans. So you use the term circular economy. Very much all three of you are very using... Much in that space. Um, exactly, are, are reusing resources, which I think is a great way to go about it. Actually, in the case of the coffee, what happened, I mean, if you stick it into a landfill, presumably it's generating methane, which is about the worst thing you could do from a climate change point of view. So you're not exactly. only creating a solution, you're avoiding a problem at the same time there. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, coffee grounds, is, it, it, it sounds weirder than it is, but as you say, it reduce, reduce, produces a huge amount of methane, which is much more potent than CO2 emissions. And also, not only that, you're also managing to displace um, conventional fuels at the other end. So our biodiesel products and our coffee logs products are able to displace conventional fuels. And so from a a single tonne of waste coffee grounds uh, produced using our technology rather than sending it to landfill or using a conventional fuel saves about 6.8 tonnes in terms of CO2 emissions. And so it's a phenomenal ratio in terms of the CO2 savings you're able to make from that. And what 6.8 tonnes looks like in terms of that is roughly the equivalent of driving a London taxi from here at the um, Olympic Park all the way to you know, the 2008 Olympics in Beijing and back oh, twice. Oh, wow. And that's from a single tonne. And so the, the, whilst it sounds like a small solution, the compounding effect of it when you can both, in terms of the circular economy, is not just being able yeah. to displace waste and make a positive yeah. impact there, but it's also yeah. the, the fuels element too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm can sensing I, that bo- both of our, our experts are very excited about these technologies. Richard, yes. why is there resistance to new technologies, what, what do you think the, the unwillingness to champion them is based on? Very simple. It's the old technologies. <laughs> it's the if good enough If you start to build problem. the new technologies, then, uh, you know, there, there, there are winners and losers in this journey. Uh, ultimately, society is the winner, but there is a, a backward-looking uh, uh, momentum, if you will. Well, inertia, pulling us backwards. Uh, but I think we're beginning to break free of it. And actually, what really excites me about this uh, is the extent to which there's a lot of young people now involved in, in this transition. And it's going to replace the old order, and it's going to do it within 20 years. And how, how, do, how do you stop the old order from protecting its own interests, which may not be in the interests of society at large. But, but lest we, pretend, do you have we to paint the old order as, as entirely negative, I think that it's mm. important to also understand that the that, that price and cost plays an important role in this. So, for example, I know you guys are um, looking to, to fuel London buses, but the alternative is today they run on petrol or diesel, and that's pretty inexpensive. And that's a very challenging price yeah. point to hit. Um, and sure. so, you know, we have to just figure out what some of these trade-offs are um, and where are the different yeah. points that we're willing to make those trade-offs. In terms of the, uh, the, the case for the old order, why not get scale by displacing some of the things that are presently part of the problem by backing these kinds of entrepreneurs? 
And so the business opportunities are absolutely huge. And so you don't need to continue doing what you've always done, even in the largest multinational. You could begin to diversify into these kinds of technologies, so long as the demand is there. And increasingly it is, because people now know that we've got a major problem to solve. But the tipping point occurs when, when these new technologies become cheaper than the alternative. So, you know, you're talking about grow-up farms. The tilapia, for some of your customers, is cheaper, cheaper than the alternative tilapia that they can get. And there's, at the moment, there's, those are probably... Um, not, not every restaurant um, it, it has that cost equation, but some do. And so the more, the more that that will happen, the more opportunity there is and the more that I think that equation will change. But it's not easy. So Jason, you're giving us a hard time about being very excited because we probably do both get excited about these new technologies. What about you two? Are you, uh, are you on board? Well, I mean, they clearly seem like good ideas. Um, I, it, it, what, what seems interesting is just whether the things that will ultimately drive their success will be purely financial or whether there will be an extent to which consumers, other people, are able to choose to go towards these things or in, in, in many ways ask for this to be the situation rather than perhaps relying purely on the market. I don't know that. That's the question I would have. Do, do you feel that you need... Um, assistance beyond the fact that you could produce savings or are you happy to rely on just your economic viability to scale up? Well, from, from, from Biobean's perspective, we only have one consumer-facing product, which is, which is the coffee logs. And from, from my perspective, I think that pitching it as a kind of green solution is, is the wrong way to sell it. And I think it's often seen as a negative because people automatically think you're going to have to compromise with quality or cost and you know, thinking of the kind of early days of things like fair trade. Um, and so we've really tried to, in our, all of our marketing for this first consumer-facing product is try, try and make it very clearly around the benefits of the product um, and it being cheaper than what's already out there. And, and it's made just outside London as well. I mean, that's... A- and do Nothing's you made just outside London. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's sourced abroad. For, for the yeah. only way is Essex is made just outside London. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a renewable product. <laughs> it just keeps going. And what, what do, currently in, in your business, what, what, what are you finding the greatest impediments to you being able to grow it? It's, it would be demand. I mean, we right. sell to restaurants and a few small chains in London but it is demanding, it's trying to get the name out there and obviously trying to get, encourage people to buy local that you know, is available all year round especially you, with salads Have you spoken to Marks and Spencer or Waitrose both of whom have got these quite ambitious plans yeah. for environmental Yes, yeah. that's that, but it's also you know, it's, we had a salad crisis in, was it January? Yeah you know, that seemed to be relieved quite quickly, but it was only because supermarkets started sur- sourcing food from further afield. Mm-hmm. So you're perpetuating the carbon problem right. because instead of it coming in from Spain or Morocco, they've gone, you know, fur- to a further away country. Why didn't they come to you, carbon. Claire? Yeah, what, why is demand we didn't have enough to, yeah, We don't have enough. Two, okay. yeah, 200,000 bags of salad, and that's what but we for, can but do on a, our farm. For but a few nearby stores, you'd think that would be yeah. if they could source in a kind of slightly more devolved yeah. way. But again, once we scale, and then that will help with the pricing. Yeah. You know, the, it's all, it comes down as well because it's small and it's indoor. It's, more, it's precision farming. So we don't have, there's purchasing power in regards to buying seeds. Yeah. You know, it's so small scale and so accurate. There's not really any wastage because you're 
sewing onto carpets. There's no percentage of wastage. You don't have to allow for birds to come down and pick them off or anything. So it's all, you know, once the scale happens, that's when prices will fall. Hopefully our audience are, are itching in their seats to let us know their thoughts. Look, you, you, you were very generous. You volunteered to be Salman Cow. But, but, sure. I mean, but this isn't X Factor. We're not looking for a winner, are we? I don't think we need to tell We're people winners. that. I think, okay. I, th- I think we look pretty much not like X Factor. <laughs> that was clear. All right. That's good. Apart from the smoke machine <laughs> earlier on. Um, but I need to remind you that uh, that hashtag... Hashtag make the future is live, and you can uh, start asking your questions. If you'd like to suggest a favourite, you can do that. If you'd like to focus uh, more widely, which we're about to do now, on the general topic of making London carbon neutral, then that, uh, that's also a topic that you can do. Uh, hashtag make the future. Get tweeting now. But if, if you're not into your social media, we do have the, uh, the, the much older form of social media, the microphone. Like a hand. Yeah, a hand. There's a hand as well. You can use that, which is going to be roving around uh, uh, later on. So I'd like to just broaden the discussion. First of all, before we talk about the specific target of, of, uh, of carbon neutrality in London, um, just about if, if we've got any other startup ideas. Just, uh, you're, you're asking whether... I'm asking you. I'm whether I, asking whether you. I... Yeah. With no preparation, <laughs> intelligence or humanity or research, have come up with ideas as good as the specific entrepreneurs who've yeah. dedicated themselves to it. That's the question, That's the question you're yeah. currently asking me. Well, we probably don't need a drum roll between this question and my answer. Um, I mean, no, I, mean I, I cycle, but I, no one's really benefiting from that. Um, but no, I have no start-up. I did, is, is this answer currently surprising you? That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> if you have more time, do you think you might be able to come up with one? Yeah, I mean, like, if I were immortal, okay. um, potentially... We've not got time for that. I was thinking well, maybe five or ten if minutes. I were immortal, we'd have time. Um, and who's to say? This could be where I out myself as Highlander. Um, <laughs> but no, no. I, I'm simply here for my idiocy. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So we're going we're gonna to start the Q&A. So hopefully the technical team uh, are aware that I need my iPad with questions. That's incredible. How did you well, do that? He's <laughs> come straight from school. Yeah, he's been working one on the, the fish. One of the schools. Yeah. Uh, Queen Zach on social media has asked, could grow-up farms be used on the International Space Station? Ooh. <laughs> There would be no reason why not, as long as a fish wouldn't float around. I mean, yeah, I'm not very happen, in with my space knowledge, but what does water, water, fish in space? Oh, yeah, no yeah, yeah. In space. Hmm. yeah. But, Richard. yes. Sure. Well, as the goldfish in space expert, finally, <laughs> my time has come. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a pertinent question. Who was it? Queen? Queen Zach. Queen Zach sounds like he or she lives in space um, so maybe they're just asking for their own maybe they're putting in an order basically possibly I yeah I'm, I'm guessing gravity isn't that uh, maybe we need to yes. go and test that but a tentative yeah. yes but unless, I'm not unless sure. you look into it that's what this is about yes. isn't it I imagine if you're currently facing red tape that may not reduce on the space station <laughs> uh. okay um, hands up if you have another question are you ready to go God, you're good. <laughs> What's your name, please, and, and your question? Hi, uh, Chris. If you have a product like BioBean where you're using the waste product of other manufacturers and other industry, uh, 
can you can you patent that idea like uh, burning the waste product of, of coffee industry and if not what's to stop the coffee industry your Starbucks your Nespresso choosing to keep their own waste and burn it once they see the value in uh, in the reuse of it Def- yeah absolutely so you you can't patent the idea, but we've got a number of different uh, patents and patents pending on the technology specifically to actually then deliver those products. So around extracting the oils, refining them, and then also around actually making the, the solid fuel products themselves. So, but, but I think that's touched on an interesting point in terms of um, we were talking earlier around kind of technology innovation versus business model innovation. And I think those two as distinct um, elements are, are kind of an important distinction to draw here because the Technology can be packaged in a number of different ways. You can protect that. But I think a lot of what the three of us have, and to the point, again, made earlier around how a lot of the, the future exists already, it's just about how to find it. That, I think, is around how business models can be most effectively deployed to create value within that chain. Because whilst we do have patents on the technology and pieces of it, our real innovation is around that circular business model to deliver value. And that's the piece that, whilst a coffee company could go into um, waste and energy and chemicals, um, it's quite a stretch for um, someone who's really good at selling frappuccinos to go and start making advanced biofuels. Yeah. Um, and so that's yeah. kind of a, a, as big a leap as trying to defend a patent and all the rest of it. Now, I can go to social media. Oh, no, we, we've got another question from the floor. <laughs> Hi, uh, Angus. Uh, what, what changes in government policy would most help technologies like yours progress more quickly and support them? Is that too... Do you want the specific so, technologies? Um, so um, for them? example, but also more general answers General, as general well. policy. Both, both Do you want to? So, well, uh, one, one general thing that would help enormously is to have a very clear high price on carbon emissions. Once that's there, then everything that's got low carbon emissions becomes more viable in the market. And so you just heard a moment ago about the extent to which some of these innovations are being undercut by the volatility and the low price of fossil fuels recently, so plastic recycling's gone down, and there is uh, less, less of an appetite for biofuels because the diesel and petrol from fossil is cheaper. So if you insert that price as a matter of government policy, it changes everything. As I say, we've got a bit of that already uh, in the UK and more of it in Europe, but it's obviously not high enough yet to be making a transformative difference. And I'll chime in on that around the innovation side, which is that I think um, policy changes that can help innovation, we've already talked about, you know, bringing in international people, but also um, encouraging funding to early stage startups. My guess is all three of your companies have struggled for funding at times. It is I, I, almost every startup I've ever worked with. It's a real challenge and it, is, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. So the more that we can unlock early stage funding to help bring these technologies to market, um, that, I think that's a very helpful pos- a policy change. And from our perspective as well, I mean, to share a short story with you, the, the, the point around kind of um, the speed of um, governments moving, I think, as well, would be a, a major benefit. So one example is that when we were bringing one of our products to market, a biomass pellet, um, we were trying to get the product registered as a, as a product in, in the UK. And to do so, you have to almost 99.9% of um, biomass pellets um, in the UK and probably globally are made from wood. And so there was a whole section on the form which was around how do you, um, how do you maintain your forests and are you FSC mm. certified and all the rest of it. Mm. And we didn't fill in that section. Mm. And, they, and they sent the form back saying, you've got to fill in that section. We said, no, no, we don't make it from wood, we make it from coffee grounds. They said, no, that's, I know you make it from coffee grounds, but you've got to fill in the section. And I was like, we were like but we, we don't 
have a forest to, to, to <laughs> cut down trees from. They're like, but how do you manage your forest? And we're like, no, 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 there's no forest. Yeah. It's from Waste Coffee Grounds. And so this went back, I mean, nine months of, of back and forth and trying to explain that there was no forest and that we didn't do it. Eventually, we did get there, and they, managed, they let us put NA by the kind of how do you manage your forest bit. But, the, but it's that kind of stuff around that nine months... For a lot of companies, would just put them out of business. I mean, nine months in it for a startup is like, like many, many decades in in kind of uh, big com- Yeah, it's like <laughs> like so dog years. It's that kind of thing that they should have just said, okay, you're not getting it from wood. Yeah. You know, go forth and, on. and multiply yeah, kind of thing. But yeah. So, <laughs> so um, I was told before we started this that Richard has to go to a live TV show recording. I believe. Sure. Yes. Um, we're, I'm aware that there's three more questions in the audience at least. So uh, what we'll probably do is say goodbye to Richard and then we'll carry on okay. for about seven minutes. But what can I say? Uh, uh, TV star, writer, director, and now we know, I think it's fair to say, uh, fish astronaut specialist. <laughs> Richard yeah. Iwadi, ladies Thank and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Okay. Brilliant. Okay, so um, we have a question chap with a very funky hat on. Thank you very much. Um, so my name's Tim and I wanted to ask you about the organic waste and waste. I made a product this year that basically uses food waste and is compost bin effectively and it takes the energy, the heat created and just puts it into a water pipe for hot water to heat your greenhouse in the winter so you can grow food uh, instead of using commercial heaters. Um, and I was just going to ask you, because you brought up that it's so difficult to recycle the waste and process, that I think would simplifying the waste and how much option we have over food choice and what plastics and examples like that, simplifying it, would it make it effectively more e- easier to recycle and cheaper, effectively, because you're just narrowing the options of recycling and you can focus on basically the cost and more people can do it and it's easier because there's just less option. Go ahead. Was that in the context of grow up farmers maybe? Uh, Well, I mean, we don't grow in a greenhouse. We're indoors, so... Sorry? Carry on. No, no. Were you saying you really want to answer the question? I'm going to pass on this one. You carry yeah. on. Um, I think it's probably I'll, food I'll waste. Your yeah, so the, area. Yeah. You've stumped us. I basically. think that sounds like a seriously cool invention, yeah. by the way. Um, how's the company going? Coming along well? Just a simple product I made in A level. It's not really taken on yet, I'm afraid. Doing A level as well. Oh my god! Great idea, though. Genius. Yeah. The um, you should apply for the Shell Lifewire competition. The um, <laughs> Simplifying the, the supply, I, th- I think that would definitely make recycling easier, absolutely. I think that kind of actually opens another can of worms in terms of diet and complex in terms of diet. So what w- has happened in kind of industrialization of the food industry over um, recent decades has meant that we rely on kind of a handful of primary crops. And so it's actually reducing biodiversity elsewhere in um, our food supply chain. So it's not necessarily, it, it would be easier in terms of recycling, but I think probably the primary... Um, focus needs to be on you know, making sure people have good diets and that up the supply chain you have a really good biodiversity in terms of where you're getting your um, crops from so I'd say probably 
the, I'd, I'd probably say, I don't know, I'm not a biodiversity expert by any stretch, but I'd say probably more variety in terms of plants and vegetables and, and animals would be beneficial rather than focusing down on kind of the, the half dozen um, primary crops that we currently rely on. Uh, yeah, I also meant on packaging and materials. So if you minimise materials, then you basically make it easier to recycle. So using one or two few plastics or yeah. using the same yeah. design pattern. So loads of people aren't adding materials, making it composite and yeah. changing, making it hard to recycle. Definitely. Certainly there's a great deal of, of sense in doing that and getting manufacturers to have some kind of uh, producer responsibility. So if you're making a computer or a car having a law to require you to take it back and take it to bits and then reuse all the parts. And some of that, again, is already there in European law, and that does make sense. One thing I wanted to add, though, just to your point about composting and just to underline what a hugely important thing this is. And so we, we hear about, like, you know, take your organic waste and turn it into uh, plant-growing material effectively. But basically what you're doing is returning a lot of carbon and sticking it back into the soil. And this is one of the massive opportunities we've got over the next few decades to actually pull carbon out of the atmosphere by plant growth, taking plant waste from food and from clippings and from branches, turning it into compost and putting it back in the soil. And what we've done over the last 60 years, the way we've been doing farming, is we've been removing the organic matter out of the ground in agricultural land in particular. And so what you describe as a fantastic invention to be using that to not only get a carbon product back to the ground but generating heat in the process i love it mm-hmm. stick I, with that one <laughs> i think we've got time for just uh, i'm sorry just one more question i'm really sorry guys but I, i'm sure the panel don't mind hanging around for two minutes afterwards if you'd like to ask them personally i'm so sorry because two people have had their hands up for ages this gentleman here though is the one with the microphone i'm thinking about the coffee blocks because in my country we have sugar cane and they produce uh, a dust that is the remain and the waste of the sugar, but some companies use to power the power plants with, with it. Uh, what's the scalability to produce the blocks with the sugar cane waste or other, other products that are similar and maybe ha- could have the same uh, energetic, the, the, the energy that the coffee has? And also, um, it also produces CO2, uh, which are the benefits, like, or how are you doing for reduce the CO2, CO2 emissions to the atmosphere? Great question. So, def- in terms of kind of generally kind of avoidable, uh, unavoidable organic waste, there are yes, kind of tens of different types of kind of agricultural residues and crops that can be used in that way. Coffee is just one such example. So, undoubtedly, work with um, with sh- kind of res- residues from the sugar um, industry. Also, I mean, look at things like I mean, here in London, you've got lots of breweries, for example. Um, up in Scotland, you've got whiskey distilleries. All of these produce huge amounts of you know, very pure and energy-rich waste streams, which can be used um, in, in a variety of different ways. And, and you know, whether that be adding back to the soil or indeed using as a form uh, an energy form. And so. You know, go and find. I would say, you know, if you, if you, you know, to, to Richard's missed uh, startup idea, I'd say go and find your um, own organic waste stream and turn it into a range of different valuable yeah. products from that because it's, yeah. it's so much opportunity. I can't, I can't yeah. begin to tell you. What, what I want from you now, from our, our assembled panelists, uh, under about 30 seconds uh, each, are some summing up statements, okay? Some, some takeaways uh, around the umbrella topic of a carbon neutral future for London. Tony, you're up first. So if you think of a world city, name a world city. 
probably London will always be in the top three. Climate change is a global problem. We're going to need global leadership to fix it. This city, I think, is in a great position to do it for all the reasons Kelsey said. It's got all the innovators from all over the world here working together. It's kind of an incubator. It's globally connected culturally. It's got a communications reach, which is literally global. So if we do it here, it will have a massive impact. And one of the things I often hear is, oh, well, what's the point of us doing it in, like, this county or this country or this city? Well, actually, in London, not only is it right to do it for its own purposes of cutting carbon, but it will have global ramifications, and they will be really good for London, for jobs, for exports, for innovation, for finance and everything else. Kelsey. Um, I, I will build on that by saying if you take one thing away from it, I hope, I hope it's about innovation and experimentation. And that is something that we can all take back to our everyday lives. Um, you know, some things go right, some things go wrong. There's, there's just different things, different ways we can experiment. If you have a chance, read the book Mindset. It's the best book I've ever read, but it's actually about just constantly using experimentation um, in, in everything that you do. And I think that, that that mentality of experimentation with leveraging all the... Um, benefits that London has to offer, uh, it, it actually is a, is a positive future. So I'm going to take away the, you know, going forward to keep looking at closing circuits, whether that be on food with the fish and salads, or whether it's coffee and wind, just keep looking at closing the circuit. And also to keep looking at ways of integrating businesses together and how everyone can work alongside each other to create a carbon-neutral city. I come from the perspective that you know, c- cities are primarily responsible for the vast majority of um, global CO2 emissions and therefore climate change. Um, it's therefore going to fall to cities to solve them, and you need the megacities like London to, to start with that. Um, from my perspective, the two kind of ways in which, or the two easiest ways in which we can begin to um, make London a carbon neutral city are plant loads and loads of trees, which are an amazing technology and are probably the, you know, yeah, whilst we can sure. have lots of new technologies, trees are really, really good at what they do in terms of preventing um, climate change. And then secondly, it's around understanding um, waste and, and, and really focusing on that and, and waste in terms of whether it's wasted space, wasted um, wind energy or, or wasted organic resources like coffee, just focus down on that because the opportunity is vast and that's where I think a lot of the, the businesses, big businesses of the future will, will come from. Well, so we've been motivated to look at these low-carbon solutions to really enable these technologies to be available to people. But what I really think is that we are all part of the system and that you know, we've looked at these massive um, opportunities with lots of massive entities. But if you just live in your day-to-day life and you walk from your kitchen to your bathroom to your bedroom, you're creating your own climate in which you can contribute to this. So I think that we have to look at our own lifestyles. And it goes back to the very simple reduce, reuse, re- recycle. You don't have to start a company. You can mm. do it every day yourself. Cool. Well, I don't know about you uh, guys and girls in the audience, but this has been fantastic. I, for one, have never chaired a debate uh, on stage while carbon-neutral electric vehicles are racing around the outside <laughs> and people are cheering, uh, generating electricity kinetically while kicking footballs into holes. It's, it's, it's fantastic, it's diverse, it's innovative, it's wonderful. You've been an absolutely brilliant audience. Give yourselves and all of our entrepreneurs a big round of applause. Claire, Arthur Kay, Charlotte Slingsby... <laughs> Kelsey Lindsay-Skinner, Tony Juniper, and, of course, Richard Ayoade. Thank you very much. Have a great Make the Future Live.
Thanks for listening. To continue the conversation online, use hashtag MakeTheFuture.